Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. We started, we started a series last week. Brother Brad started a series. We called it Uncivilized, Untamed, Uncaged. Now that sounds like something from UFC. You know what I'm saying? Uncivilized, untamed, uncaged. But what we're talking about is there's cages that try to hold us back from God's best. The Spirit of God wants us to be free. It wants us to be free. And last week, Pastor Brad, and I want to commend him because I have heard so many beautiful compliments on his ministry last week. And I I thank you for that. These young men grow up. They grow up and they become preachers in this church. I'm going to tell you why. Because you love the Word. You folks love the Word. And you pull preach out of these young men and they, uh, they become preachers of the gospel. And so last week he talked about the cage of guilt, guilt. Now we're going to have five, five Wednesday nights of this, and it's going to be a good, good series. It really is. Tonight I'm speaking on the cage of routine. I'm going to talk about routine tonight. Everybody needs a routine, but you can get in a cage of that if you don't watch it. And I'm going to speak on that tonight. Turn to somebody, say, I'm going to help the preacher. Hope you don't go too long because I got to go eat after church. <laughs> you can be seated. You're awesome people. I love you. The story takes place in Exodus, the third chapter. First time I ever saw the Grand Canyon, I was a single man, single evangelist, and I was preaching in Arizona. And <clears throat> the preacher and his wife took me to that majestic site. And it was one of the greatest that I'd ever seen. Being raised in West Texas, you don't think that there's places like that in the world, much less in America. And it was literally the closest I'd ever come to feeling like I was this close to God himself. I read about a man that went there once and he said, wow, something big must have happened here. (laughs) I was so overwhelmed by how amazing it was. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I needed to sing How Great Thou Art, but I did something that was so unique. I just started clapping. And the preacher said, what are you doing? I said, I'm just telling God what a great job you did here, God. It's like God just touched his finger and just run a a, a beautiful little mountain area here and just said, I'm going to cut that in two and I'm going to put a river, the Colorado River down, and I'm going to just let it flow and I'm going to let people see it. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. The Celtic Christians had names for places like this. They called them thin places. Everybody say thin places. Places where heaven and earth seem to touch and where God seems to hold back the space-time curtain and reveal just a little bit more of his glory. Where the uncivilized and untamed and uncaged part of you went over the top and got a taste of heaven. Exodus 3 is one of those moments for Moses. It was a thin place, if you will. Just before I start teaching this, though, I, I want to tell you that a little boy walked up to a preacher one day and he said, when I grow up, I'm going to give you a whole lot of money. And the preacher said, why? He said, because my daddy told me you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. <laughs> That's funny. 
Moses was a fugitive. In his anger, he had killed an Egyptian taskmaster. And he ends up fleeing Egypt to a place called Midian. And for 40 years, he's on the backside of a desert tending sheep. Part of me wonders if Moses at this point feels forsaken and even perhaps forgotten by God. 40 years is a long time. The backside of the desert, the middle of nowhere. And it's there that we pick up this story. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 through 5 in the New Living Translation. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he went deep into the wilderness near Sinai, the mount of God. And suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to him as a blazing fire in a bush. And Moses was amazed because the bush was engulfed in flames, but it didn't burn up. Amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that burning, our bush burning up? I must go over and see this. And when the Lord saw that he had caught Moses' attention, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. And God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. Amen. Now, we're talking in this series, folks, about five stories, or five cages from five people in Scripture. There's no way tonight to unpack the entire biography in 30 or 35 minutes. You need to go home and read your Bible. But Moses has been tending sheep for 40 years. Folks, that's 480 months. That's 14,560 days. I do that because I majored in math and I just have to break it down for you. The same daily routine for 40 years, day in, day out. And I think that Moses must have felt like he's been put out to pasture. And maybe he's a little disappointed with his life. He had so much potential back in Egypt. And I got to think at this point that he had to feel a little like an underachiever. Every day, all he does is stare at the backside of sheep. That's all he does. It's not real exciting. Yet 40 years later, Moses is caught in this cage of what we call the cage of routine. And I love the first two words of this chapter. It said simply, one day. One day. Everybody say one day. Everybody say one day. Not a month, not a year, not a decade, but one day. It epitomizes what a relationship with Jesus is all about. When you are in a relationship with Christ, if I can use the term, all bets are off. You never know what you're, what you're going to do, where you're going to go, and who you're going to meet. But God has the right to invade the reality of your life. And turn your life inside out and upside down in one single day. Because God can show up any place. He can show up any time. And that fills me, folks, with holy anticipation of what God is able to do. I can't wait to see what God's going to do next around here. Amen. I can't wait to see it. Now, I don't want to paint a prettier picture than it is because I live in that daily routine myself. And I get caught in that cage many times myself. And sometimes life seems pretty monotonous. My days are they're not real glamorous. I get up after I turn the alarm off. I go look at myself in the mirror and see how, what the pillow has done to my hair during the night. <laughs> it's amazing with this little of hair how it can get strong during the night. I take, the sh- I take a shower, 
I dry off and get some clothes on and go out and get the paper. If someone is walking their dog, I speak to them. I don't ask them to give their dog to me. It's their dog, not mine. That's how my days mostly start. But I do live with this deep-seated holy anticipation every day that God can invade the reality of my life at any time, at any moment. Let me make a 30,000-foot observation from way up high. Let me look down. We read stories about people in this Bible. We know how their story starts and we know how it ends because we read it several times. We can read them in a matter of minutes. I think we also have to realize that these people that we're reading about did not have one clue about what was going to happen in their world. We know, but they didn't know. Don't tell me that a farmer named Noah had any idea that at 500 years old, he was fixing to build this big old boat. He didn't have a clue. I don't think a shepherd named David knew that he would one day become king. I don't think an orphan named Esther knew that in a land of Shushan, she was going to become a queen. I don't think that Elisha had any idea when he was plowing with those 12 yoke of oxen, he was about to become a prophet. And I do think that Moses thought that he would tend sheep for the rest of his life and that he would die tending sheep. He literally felt unqualified and disqualified. No matter, no matter how you feel and what you think, Moses had no idea that he would go back and confront Pharaoh. He had no idea that he'd become the human vessel that would have ten plagues worked at the miracles that he asked God to send. Or that he would be the one after 430 years that would lead Israel out of Egypt and to a land called promise. Oh, but one day. One day. One day. God shows up. By the way, Jewish scholars used to debate why God would reveal himself in a burning bush on the backside of a desert. They used to debate this. I don't know. Seems there'd be better places and better ways to do it. Maybe lightning, maybe thunderbolts, maybe a wind. Pretty impressive to me. Why not make maybe a pyramid or Pharaoh's palace? Why a burning bush in the middle of nowhere? And those Jewish scholars came to this consensus They believed it was God's way of showing that no place on earth is devoid of his presence. Why don't you clap your hands and say, I like that. No place. Your house. Your garage. Amen. Your washroom. Your kitchen. God can show up anywhere. Because he's God. Not even a bush on the backside of the desert. God's presence shows up. Moses lived a long time ago. But now, right here and now, some of you that sit in this service tonight never dreamed that you'd be a part of what's going on at CLC in Austin, Texas. I love Fasaya Fidelu. I love this girl. Fasaya, would you stand up? She's an attorney. She's an attorney. Stand up. When she was a little girl... Let's give her a hand. She's a dandy. When she was a little girl. When she was a little girl in Nigeria, I doubt she ever thought, she ever thought that she had dreams, but I doubt she ever thought that she'd be in America and get a law degree at the university and become a full-fledged legal attorney in the city of Austin, Texas and worship God at Christian Life Church. But look what God did. Look what God did. Octavia, stand up, son. Stand up, Octavius. 
I can't tell you all the story right now, but when Octavius walked in here 15, 16, 17 years ago, he never dreamed he'd even come close to marrying Dawn Elizabeth or Elizabeth Dawn. Prettiest girl in this church, he never had the dream. He just thought, he just wishful thought. And God did something in his life right here. And God on a day did something right here, filled him with the spirit right back over yonder. And now he's a part of our staff. And now he, he's got a job waiting on him. That's a dream job. The doctor in the house, Dr. Octavius, has got a dream job. He never dreamed that this would come to pass. But it never, you never can tell what can happen on one day. I love you, Octavius. Clap your hands. I never dreamed. I never dreamed. As a little nine, ten-year-old boy in a, in a farmhouse in sundown, Texas, standing on the back porch, that God would ever give me a voice and I would preach the gospel, much less preach the gospel in a city as splendid as Austin and have an opportunity to reach people of all races and creeds and, and kinds. And, and the gospel is being preached here. And here I am. I never dreamed. But things can happen in one day. Here we are. God knows how to get from Egypt to the promised land. He knows how to get from Babylon to Jerusalem. He knows how to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be. One day, one day. I hope all of us live with that reality. With that hope can God, that God can invade your life like he invaded Moses' life. See, life can change in a moment. Now here's the response. I want you to notice what Moses does. This is so tough. He's called a little off guard, but I love the simple response. Moses' instinctual response is, here I am. Okay, God. God knows exactly where you are, Moses. He's, he's seen you for 40 years. You don't have to tell him, but thanks for sharing. It's like this cumulative 40 years of what am I doing here? What is God doing for me? And finally, God shows up and Moses says, here I am. Many of you know the story. He puts up some resistance. He second guesses himself. He second guesses God. But I want to suggest that there is, that's where the uncivilized and untamed and uncaged chase of the Spirit of God begins. When you say, here I am. Let me be explicit during this series, even on this second Wednesday night, because I want you to see yourself in history. This is not something to be self-absorbed attempt and adventure. It's not about that. It's bigger than that. 2,000 years ago, folks, Jesus extended an invitation. He said, come, follow me. Say it with me. Come, follow me. The invitation, folks, is still on the table. Amen. Here is the mistake many make. We feel like God just came to save us from our sin. He does that. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you confess your sin, he is faithful. That's what the Bible says. And just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he takes care of the sin problem in the past. But many live as if that's it. We're good to go now. But God takes care of the past to invite you to a future. He didn't bring those people out of Egypt to let them die in wilderness. He brought them out to bring them in. 
But many of them didn't understand the bring in thesis. They just were brought out. So he, we can reach our God given potential in him. Here is a slant. God literally came to save us from boredom. Because you're not saved to sit on a pew and look around and see who's saved and who's lost. You're not saved to sit on a pew and judge how good or bad the music is. You're not saved to sit on a pew to judge if the pastor preached good tonight. You're saved from your past so God can give you a future. That's what it's all about. Amen to that. Moses got to be bored out of his mind. Maybe occasionally his flock would get attacked by a wild animal and some adrenaline would flow. It's an exciting day for Moses, but the next day he's back to staring at the, staring at the backside of sheep. I think most days, I'm guessing he was bored silly for 40 years. Let me suggest, God is the one who created us with the adrenal gland. He really is. I'm going to get heavy here in just a minute. God is the one who designed us in a way that when, when we experience something exciting or adventurous, we experience a rush of adrenaline. Do you believe that? Call me crazy, but I think it's a stewardship issue. I think we need to be good stewards of adrenaline just like we need to be good stewards of glucose. And men, testosterone. And dopamine. And any other thing that God's created within us, everything is a stewardship issue. See, I, I define sin as meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So I think what happens to a lot of us is we are so bored silly with our relationship with God, we try to get a rush of adrenaline in a wrong way. And that creates sin. Are you with me? Moses got a rush of adrenaline when he killed that Egyptian taskmaster, but it was sinful. Watch what happens. When God begins to redeem us and when we say, here I am, all of a sudden we're going to start getting rushes of adrenaline and rushes of, oh my God, this is the most exciting day of my life. Can you imagine that Moses might have had a rush of adrenaline when he walked back to confront Pharaoh and said, let my people go. Do you think he got some chill bumps standing there? <laughs> He'd been gone 40 years, but he's back. Do you think he got a rush of adrenaline when he took his staff for the first time in front of Pharaoh and threw it down and it become a serpent? And the magicians threw theirs down and theirs become serpents. But Moses' serpent just ate up all their serpents. Do you think he might have got a little rush of adrenaline? Do you think he might have got a little rush of adrenaline when he walked out there with all those people and they had two and a half million behind him and the Egyptians were coming and mountains on one side and mountains on the other side and a Red Sea in front? Do you imagine he said, yeah. I'm Moses the sailor man. Don't you think he got a little rush of adrenaline? Wouldn't you like to live that kind of life sometime in your life? To say, I'm going to step out and I'm going to let God give me a day in my life. I'm going to say, here I am. Let's go, God. Let's do something powerful and glorious for the kingdom of God. Come on. Clap your hands and rejoice in that right now. What a rush. See, sometimes we miss that part of the story. It's the human side, the emotional side. It's so easy for us to read it and miss the true dimension of what this story is about. Moses is bored silly and God said, hey. Let me invade the reality of your life and let's see what happens. 
I want us to live with that reality. Now let's look at verse 4. Here's a significant phrase. God called to him from the bushes, from the bush. Moses? Moses. When God calls you once, it's pretty good. When he calls you twice, you better listen. When God repeats your name, it's time to turn your head around and listen. The simple fact that God has to capture Moses' attention tells us that God has lost Moses' attention. Or Moses has stopped paying attention to God. I think that's what routine does. Stay with me now. Routine is a good thing, folks. It's not a bad thing. We need routine because without routine, life is absolutely chaotic. We live in stress. Most of us have a morning routine that involves a shower and deodorant and toothpaste and mouthwash. And on behalf of your friends and family, continue with that routine. (laughs) It's a good thing. But here's the catch 22. (laughs) Once a routine, I'm sorry. Once a routine becomes a routine, you need to disrupt the routine. Does that make sense? Once a routine becomes a routine, you've got to disrupt it. Let me, let me put it in physiological terms. When I work out, I did it 10 years ago. When I work out, when you work your muscles the same way every day, eventually... They'll adapt to the routine and you'll stop growing. You really will. So what you need to do is confuse your muscles by disrupting the routine and changing the order of the exercise in your body. And your body will begin to respond again and start growing again. The word that is a, is a word of stable equilibrium is a word called homeostasis. And, and, your, and your body wants to get in that homeostasis condition because it wants to stay right there. It don't want, it don't want to do anything to grow and get better. So that's why I used to eat bluebell right-handed, and now I eat it left-handed. I'm changing. I want, I want to confess something to you. I hadn't had bluebell in eight months. Somebody give me a hand right there. That's right. I hadn't had it. That's the truth. If the Lord comes tonight, I'll meet him in peace. Amen. Same thing is true with spiritual routine. Stay with me now. Spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and fasting. Oh, there's a good word. Bible study, fellowship. It's so easy to learn how and then forget why. It's so easy to go through the motion. What happens is at some point we stop worshiping God in spirit and truth. And we just go through the motions. It's like we're lip syncing the words. You know, our minds wonder why we worship. Studies show, reveal that after you sing a song 30 times, you no longer think about the lyrics. You don't think about it. That's a huge ramification when it comes to worship. Maybe that's why the psalmist said six times in the Bible, sing to the Lord a new song. Every now and then you've got to get up and quit singing the same old song that you can just sing without even thinking about it. You need to sing a new song to the Lord. You need to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to sing you a brand new song today. And your wife will say, oh, God, he's lost his mind in there. But it's time for us to get out of the routine and get into a place where God can say, I want to bless you with something new in your life today. I don't want people that's had the spirit of God in their life for years to miss out on this glorious opportunity of what God's going to do in the last day. We've got to get out of the cage of routine and allow God to speak to us. 
and us say, yes, Lord, here I am. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Now, I want to I wanna talk about some ways we can disrupt the routine. You know, you know, I have to do this in my own life. Sometimes it's easier to prepare a sermon than it is to read the Bible. It really is. And sometimes in being a sermon preparer, a preacher can stop reading the Bible. It's happened to me in my life. Not recently, but it's happened. Here's what I believe. We become more focused about what God wants to do through you than what God wants to do in you. And God wants to do something in all of us. So I want you to get your pen out. I want you to write these seven things down. I'm going to give you seven little principles here that I think might help you get out of this thing called routine. Number one, try a new translation of the Bible. Well, if the King James Version was good enough for John the Baptist, it's good enough for me. Yes, the King James Version is a great Bible. But don't get me talking about King James up here tonight. You might not want to read a King James anymore. Because there's a little history there. But the King James Bible is a great Bible. But there's a lot of great Bibles. You know what I enjoy? I love the message. I love the message. Because you can read the message and it just get all over. You get goosebumps reading the message. When, when the Bible said the Lord preserves the simple, the message said, I was down to the very bottom and the Lord sent a rope and rescued me. Man, I like that. I can just see a rope coming down from heaven. I just grab a hold and just go up in the helicopter. I see that kind of stuff. All right, get you a new translation. You know, what we do, we, we need new synapses to fight. We need, we need some things in our brain to start snapping because so many times we know how the story starts and how it ends. We've read it 150 times, and there's nothing new in there. But get you a new version, and it might just show you something unique that you've never seen before. And it'll get you out of that routine, and you'll say, praise God. The second thing you need to do is go on a 40-day fast. Got you, didn't I? I got you. It doesn't have to be 40 days, but it's cool. I just said it because it's a Bible number. I've never been on one. I've never been on one. 40 days seem to be very significant, so I just said 40. I think fasting is one of the most overlooked, underpracticed spiritual disciplines that we read about, and no one really does it. I try to go on a couple of fasts every year, seriously. I really do. I really do. Sometimes it's a New Year's fast. I don't try to tell anybody. It may be a 10-day thing, but it probably never is. It may be, but it never is, probably, with whole, all the food. Or sometimes... When we're getting ready to launch a new ministry here at CLC, I might fast a few days for it. Or sometime I just use it to, as a way to, for God to prepare me for what he wants to do in me next. I found that fasting is a great way to break a habit or to build a habit. If you want to break a habit, start fasting. You'll get out of it. If you want to build a habit, start fasting. So you can fast food or you can fast fast food. <laughs> but you can also do other things like fasting television. I never, I, I never fast TV during the NFL season <laughs> or when the Spurs are playing basketball. But it's coming to the time when I can fast TV. I can fast TV. That's why sometimes maybe I preach a little better in the summer because I can fast some TV in the summer because I can't stand watching baseball on TV. And about all I do is watch sports. You can fast different things like Blue Bell. 
you fast pickles. But I think sometimes you just need to tell yourself, I'm not going to allow that to get a hold of me. Paul said, all things are, are expedient, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient unto me. I'm not going to become a slave to anything in this world. You need to push it back. Number three, you need to keep a journal. Write it down. You need to keep a journal. Write this down. I'm not far from finishing. A gratitude journal, a prayer journal, a dream journal. All of us know people who have been Christians for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years experience of being a Christian. They have one year 25 times. Because God cannot teach them past that first year experience. They never really stop and think about it, but journaling helps. Things I want God to help me with, I write down. Now, I do things in threes. I, this is just me. Don't, don't try to copy the preacher. I preach many times three-point sermons. I, I, do, I put three things on my plate. You saw my plate tonight. I had three things on it. I have three things. I have three-point prayers. Why? I don't know. I just do it. I did read about a woman one time who was journaling. She went to the doctor and found out she had rabies, and she started journaling. And the doctor said, are you writing down your thoughts? She said, no, I'm writing down the people I'm going to bite when I get out of here. <laughs> Now, that's the kind of journaling we don't want you to do. Don't do that kind of journaling. Write some things down. Write it down. Make it plain. The fourth thing you need to do is go on a retreat. Oh. This one's huge. Ladies' retreats. Say it, amen. amen. Men's retreats. Say it, amen. amen. Youth retreats. Singles at the church. Meeting just to get together. Married night at the church. We've got a men's baseball trip planned. That's carnal. No, it's a retreat. We're going to go. We're going to laugh. We're going to have a good time. We're going to come back sober. You can, be, you can have a good time. Be sober. Ladies shopping trips. Break up the routine. Just dress up and go. No, I just think I'll stay home. I don't like people. I, don't like, I can't stand to be around people. Heaven's going to be a weird place. I, I wonder where God's going to put people like you. I wonder what floor you're going to get on. Does heaven have a basement? Brian McLaren in his book, A New Kind of Christian Capture, he said, I look back over my years of ministry and ask what has really helped people change and deepen spiritually. He says retreats among other things. But we try to make our spiritual formation experience routine, but that maybe guarantees that they become less effective. Now watch this. The more intense and less routine the experience, the greater the impact. More spiritual formation takes place on a weekend retreat than six months of spiritual meetings. Let me tell you something. When our young people go away to a, to a retreat, when our kids go away to just a one-day retreat and they get away from you, it's amazing what God can do when God gets them by themselves. I used to love to go to youth camp. I was a youth camp junkie. We didn't have a large church, and for me to be around five, 600 kids at a summer camp, it was like heaven on earth. It was at youth camp that God called me to preach. It was at youth camp that God told me I was going to be a preacher of the gospel. It was at youth camp, hallelujah, where I, where I found my wife. It was at youth camp where God blessed me with uh, my second wife, it was at youth camp. It was at youth camp. 
when I lost my first wife, I was leading a youth camp and here come a girl walking in. I thought it was my, my first wife. It looked like God sent a, a, a spirit back and it was her and it was Patty. It was my Patty. And, and I said, oh my God, but it was at retreats. It was at a place. You need to let your kids go to places where they can be charged by the power and the spirit of God. Don't hold them out. Don't hold them back. Don't, don't say, no, no, no. We're going to be our forward no more. No, put them in something. Let God get a hold of their life. It's amazing what God can do with one little weekend in your life. Retreat, retreat. Number five, go on mission trips. Our youth have never come back from one the same way they left. And I'm going to keep beating that drum. Number six, start serving. This is one huge thing because let me talk as a pastor that loves you. I found in my experience when I went to church, I would always look for a church that could feed me or challenge me. You want something that's going to be good for you. You like the worship and the message it will, and, and, and you will grow. But if you aren't careful, listen now, church can become all about you. It can actually become a really selfish thing. That's why we encourage everybody at COC to plug into a ministry. Because then it becomes more about more than just you. And it makes more meaningful experience. I would, I would ask everybody in this room that if you're not plugged into some kind of ministry and help in this church to please do it. Amen. Don't walk out. Walk in. Get close. Be a part of what God's doing. We've got a place for you in the kingdom of God. Amen. Plug in. Plug in. Start serving. On Saturday, on Saturday, we're going we're gonna to bless. We're going to bless. Is it this Saturday, Patty? We're going to bless the people that have served the city of Austin. We used to, we used to feed the city four times a year, and I, I, I love that. I love that. But, but we, had, we had to stop because we didn't have the right kind of kitchen to prepare the right kind of food. But God's going to prepare that and give us that. We're going to be able to get back to serving because I love to serve. I love to give. I love to give. We send out, we send out a man on the 5th, the 15th, and the 25th. We send out a lady and her group on the 10th, the 20th, and the 30th. We feed the homeless at least six times a month from this church. We have people that donate. McDonald's gives us $500 a month just to feed the homeless. And a man that owns McDonald's gives us $400 a month to feed the homeless. Every bit of that money plus goes to feeding the homeless every month because we want to serve people. Amen. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Come on, clap your hands. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And let me, number seven, you need to plug into a small group. You do. This is huge. And I've never seen small groups work so well as they did the last time we did them. We'd tried them before and they had not done well. But we had the right kind of people to help us run it now. And here we are. Small groups are awesome. This is huge because it's a new way to create a routine, kind of a weekly routine. We're going to have some more. In the end of summer and in the fall, we'll have at least two more small group sessions this year. I often tell couples when I'm doing premarital counseling, and I'm doing pretty good talking to them, but you know, they aren't hearing a word because they're in love and they're about to get married and they're all going, <laughs> I know, I know, I know the drill. I got married. But you got to get with some people of like faith in the church. Can I teach a little bit? This, you, you can't do this by yourself. If you ride motorcycles, we got, we got heaven's angels out there tonight. If you're a golfer, we got golfers. If you're a fisherman, we got fishermen. If you're a shopper, ladies, we got some shoppers. 
If you like to go to restaurants, we got women and men that like to go to restaurants. And men, you need to get with buddies. And ladies, you need to get with sisters. And no man's an island. Come on now. You got to plug in. You got to plug in. You got to plug in. Let me share one of my fundamental convictions. Let me, let me share it. The last thing that the Lord told Moses to do was take off your sandals. I would suggest that we are surrounded by miracles in our life. Everybody say, we're surrounded. One fundamental dimension of spiritual growth is learning to recognize and appreciate the miraculous. We have been blessed with the miraculous at Christian Life Church. In fact, if I'd have kept a, a log and a record, there's no telling what kind of book could be written even now over the last 26 years of what God has done. But right now, there's approximately six trillion reactions taking place in every cell in your body every second right now. Every day, your heart will pump 100,000 times without skipping a beat. And you'll inhale and exhale 23,000 times and not even realize it. It's just natural. Our body right now is digesting, reproducing new cells, purifying toxins. Brother Randy, if you'll help me. Maintaining hormonal balance, converting stored energy from fat to blood sugar, repairing damaged cells. When was the last time, when was the last time you thanked God for that kind of stuff? I know I preached about it in, when I talked about grave robber, but do you mind lifting your hand to say thank you, Lord, for having a, a good sound body tonight? Thank you. Think about it. We take so much for granted because things that are constant. So the problem with God, and I say this intentionally, the problem with God is this. He is so constant. He is so good at what he does. This unconditional love, this mercy is new every morning. He's so good, so constant that we take that God for granted. And then when our health fails, we say, God, help. But why don't you get up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you for another day. Albert Einstein was a pretty smart guy. There's only two ways to live your life. One is as if nothing is a miracle. And the other is, 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 is as if everything is a miracle. A poet by the name of Elizabeth Barrett Browning said it this way. She said, earth is crammed with, crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God. But only those who see take off his shoes. The rest sit around and just pluck blackberries. The fruit, not the foam. Isn't it symbolic, though, of walking around all day with our blackberry thing and totally miss out on a life because we're doing this blackberry? I'm so tired of people hugging their cell phones and not hugging people. I'm tired of people disconnecting with what God wants to do because we got this in our hand. Sometime you got to put that down. And you got to say, God... That's not going to save me. You're going to save me. And we need him. We need him. Deuteronomy 6 says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. The Lord said these commands I give you today to, are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you 
lie down and when you get up and hide them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gate. Why does God give such explicit instructions to have visible, tangible reminders? I think it's because God knows that we tend to remember what we should forget and sometimes we forget what we should remember. The holy ground, folks, wasn't the promised land. Take off your sandals where you are, Moses. Take off your sandals. Celebrate who God is and what God is doing now. 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 I wish you men would get up in the morning and do the Toyota dance. I can't do it because I'd fall. But the man that jumps and clicks his heels, your wife would think you had, she had died and gone to heaven and you were dancing in the promised land. I wish, I wish we could just get this thing called a zest for God again and absolutely not let routine destroy. Well, it's Monday, but in five days it's going to be Friday. And now it's Monday again. It's going to be Friday again. No, no, stop it. Stop it. God's got a bush of fire. He's, got, he's wanting to get your attention and saying it's, it's time. It's time. I can remember when everything that was preached when I was a boy impacted my life and I wanted to be better. I want that spirit to get a hold of Christian life church as never before. Because we're not supposed to be here, but we're here by the grace of God. Because God one day set a bush on fire. And here we are. Uncivilized, untamed, uncaged. Chase isn't just about getting to a particular destination. It's about enjoying the journey right now. Right now. Living in the moment. Living in the moment. Day in, day out. Day in, day out. I close. I was privileged to, uh, to do a couple of things. I, I was at a, at, a, at a political state convention last week. And I chaplain. I, uh, I never am political in the pulpit was asked to do a, a job and I've done it and I do it because I love people I love sinners I love saints I love everybody and in my messages I never I never I never reap politics it's always Jesus it's always about Jesus it's always about Jesus but the Lord kind of nudged me at this last meeting the Lord kind of nudged me and he said are you listening Rex I said I'm listening he said, things are about to happen, son. Get ready. And I got goosebumps. I really, I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps on Thursday. I got them again on Friday. And I got them again on Saturday. And when I started to leave, when I started to leave, God spoke to me and he said, I'm just beginning to enhance what I brought you to Austin, Texas for. And I walked out. And I could hardly see on my way out. Tears were just running. Because I realized God didn't bring me here 
just for me to do a duty. He brought me here so people could find the reality of knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. That's not a boast. That's not a boast. David said, I boast. I'm going to boast in God. That's what I'm, I'm boasting in Him because God has brought us here to the kingdom for such a time as this. Stand to your feet all over the house. You're awesome people. Thank you for letting me talk a little bit here to you tonight. I got one thing I want to show you before we praise the Lord a little bit. Can we put, a, can we put the picture of the, of the new? There's a new bus, folks. There's a bus. Now, don't get excited yet. But we had the privilege of buying that bus or get it given to us, and it was given to us, so we won. That's a gift to the church right there. That's, that's paid for. It's 44 passengers, 147,000 miles on a cat diesel. It's just now broken in good. Great new tires, tip-top shape, clean air doors, air brakes. All we need somebody with a CDL. We got a bus that holds 44 passengers to take people any and everywhere they want to go. It's a gift to Christian Life Church. That gives me goosebumps. Anybody else want to get excited with me? Hallelujah. I even like the color. No, we're not going to paint it burnt orange nor maroon. We're going to keep it neutral. The blood of Jesus is on that bus. Red. Amen. You never know what a day's going to bring. Amen. Tap your hands real big all over the house. God's good. God is good. Come on, God is good. Come on, He's good. I'm not going to be caged. I'm not going to be tamed by this thing called routine. I'm going to chase the wind. I'm going, to, I'm going to get what God has for me. I'm going to get it in Jesus' name. Take somebody by the hand. Bow your head. Father, you're a good, good Father. You're an awesome Savior. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.